0: Darren, thank you, orchestra. Amos chapter 7, please. Amos Chapter 7 1 <clears throat> Thus said the Lord showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shoot-up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth out of the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small, Lord repented for this, it shall not be, saith the Lord. Thus he hath the Lord showed unto me, and behold, called to contend by fire. And it devoured deep, and did eat us up apart. Said I, O Lord God, cease I beseech thee. But whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small, and the Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. As she showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumbing line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A plumb. Line. And said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line to the people Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. In the high places of Isaac I will be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, And I will arise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword let's pray gracious father we thank you this night for your word we pray father god that you'd guide our time as we study together may we indeed glean from your word that which you would have for us lord, give me wisdom i pray for I that i might have that clarity of thought that you can give that lord i might be able to speak in such a way that the word uh, says what it says and Means what we wanted to mean, and Father God, that we'd learn from you the truths you would have this night. that We might leave this place, singing your praise, knowing that we've been together in your presence, knowing that we've been spoken to by your word, and we pray that Lord you'd guide our time and just go before you give me wisdom, I pray. May we exalt your holy name tonight, and may we leave rejoicing because we've been in your presence. That's now our time in your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Old, I can't remember whether it or not. <clears throat> it comes to the Old Testament and old Testament prophets of God they were not the most popular in Israel. as indeed you know preachers today are not the most popular people. Still, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 52 which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom you have been now the prayers of murderers this is true of the prophet amos you know, he faithfully delivered god's message and for that he was accused and persecuted the truth of the matter is that the life of a prophet in the old testament was not an easy one on the one hand he had to stay to the lord to hear what the lord had to say to him to hear the words of the lord that he could share them with the people But on the other hand, he had to be with the people to whom he was ministering. And they didn't always want to accept his ministry. It's no wonder that some of the prophets wanted to resign, including men like Moses and Jeremiah, who just didn't want to keep doing what they are doing. They wanted to give up because of the persecution, the opposition. They faced the preaching of God's word. And Amos is no exception to this as an altism prophet. In fact, Amos has two struggles, basically, here in chapter 7. He struggles with the Lord and he struggles with the authorities. There's the king and the king's priest. I want you to consider with me tonight, this struggling of the prophet Amos. I don't know whether we're going to get both these struggles, because uh, the service is going a little a bit longer than we would normally go before I get to preach, so we'll see how we go. But we're going to have a look at the, at least the first of these struggles, which is Amos struggling with the Lord in verses 1 through 9, which is what we read. You know, Amos was a true patriarch when it came to the name of Israel. Amos loved God, loved his nation. So that Amos was a man who was passionate about his God. He was passionate about his nation. And it grieved him, it grieved the prophet that he had to tell Israel and he had to tell Judah of the coming judgment The God was sending this is not something that Amos wanted to do. This was not a man who was full of pride and was excited about the fact he run the people down. This was a man who was burdened for the people of El, a man who didn't want to tell them of God's judgment, a man who sought to stop God judging the people. No doubt, the he wished he was back in Tekoa, care for the sheep and the sycamore trees back on his farm. Rather than being prophets of God to Judah and to Israel, but you know the Lord God, the Sovereign Lord, was the one behind all of this. The Lord the word Lord God, which is mentioned in verse one, it says, so "Hath the Lord God showed that phrase Lord God or Sovereign Lord is used eleven times in the last three chapters of the book of Amos, and it demonstrates God's control of history. This is what the Lord God is desiring for Israel." This is what the Lord God has planned. And Amos knew that God knew what was best. And even though Amos didn't want to be in this situation, even though Amos didn't want to be preaching these messages to this nation, Amos knew this is what the Lord God wanted. And therefore, he was going to obey him and do his will. So the prophet sees three visions of judgment in verse 9, verses of chapter 7. Three judgments to which response? responds. The Lord God who tells him and shows him these instruments. The first vision that he sees, where Amos saw, was the vision of the locusts in verse 1 through 3. It says in verse 1, And thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. The significance of this is that the farmers of Amos would pay their taxes by giving their crops to the king. The very first reaping harvest were their taxes to the king. So when harvest grew and they went out and they reaped the very first paddocks, first fields of harvest, that very first group of, of uh, uh, crops was given to the king by way of tax. After this, there was a second crop that grew up which provided the main harvest for the people. And it's this second crop, this crop that grew up for the people to survive on, to live on, to have their food, it was this second crop that Amos saw threatened with destruction from the plague of locusts. Here in verse 1. Notice what it says. that The locust came up, behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the growth, the second growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowing. So after the king had taken his share of the crops then the locusts came and attacked what was left this was the farmer's last chance for a harvest god said the harvest would be destroyed summer was fast approaching the summer heat was on its way. There would be no more chance to plant crops, and no more chance to grow crops. This was it. This was the means of them sustaining their uh, food supply for the next twelve months. Was right here in this same lot of uh, crops that had been planted and grown, and they'd given the first hit harvest to the, the king, and now what was left was theirs. And in comes the grasshoppers to destroy it. Now being a man of the land, as as Amos was, remember he was a farmer from Tekoa. Being a man of the land, Amos would have sympathized with the nation of Israel about this very fat crop being destroyed by locusts would be devastating. Since the that of Amos agonized for the people. Amos really was for the people, and here we see the heart of the man. This was not a man who joyed and rejoiced in having to tell people bad news. This was a man who loved the people of Israel. He desired that they would have the, the best done for them. And his heart agonized for the people. And he prayed that the Lord would call off the judgment. Look in verse 2. And it came to pass that when they had eaten the grass of the land, but I said, O Lord God, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. The Lord was approached by Amos. He said, Lord, if you allow this to continue, then these people are going to suffer. They're small, and and because they're small, who shall take care of them? I beseech thee, he says in verse 2, whom shall Jacob arise? He is small. How in the world is he going to survive this plague of locusts? The Bible says the Lord called off the judgment. And Amos here joins that select group of intercessors we find in the word of God, men who went before the Lord and petitioned the Lord for their nation. Men who pleaded with God on behalf of the people that, they, that God would indeed spare them, God would deliver them. You can think of men like Moses who pleaded on behalf of the people where God was going to destroy them all and start a new nation with Moses. And God pleaded for the people. And Moses pleaded for the people. And you find over and over again these Old of saints pleading for the people. And what we find here is Amos, another one of these great intercessors on behalf of the nation of Israel. And he cries out to God and says, Jacob is small. Who will deliver them? If you don't, Lord. Held off the judgment. He argued the nation was small and could never survive the plague and asked for God to stop it. Amos didn't need any covenant promise here. He doesn't cry out to God and recite some Old Testament promise here because he knew the people had violated God's law. You and I know that in the first six chapters, he is repeating again how they've broken the law of God. Amos knows that Israel's broken God's law. There is no there is no promise here to plead because the law has been broken. They were deserving of this plague. If you were to read Judah 8, you know that what's happening is exactly what God promised would happen. If they didn't obey Him, God would indeed devastate them. So Amos pleaded here. He couldn't claim the promise of God. He simply pours out his heart and he says, Lord, if you allow this to continue, who will help them? How will they survive? He pleads for them. They didn't deserve God's mercy, but he pleads for God's mercy. I wonder do we intercede for our town, for our state? for our nation like Amos did for his. I mean, our our nation, it's true, doesn't deserve God's mercy by any stretch of the imagination. Our state doesn't, our town doesn't. We don't deserve God's mercy. We don't deserve God's grace. But do we plead for the people of Grafton that God would show mercy and they would be saved? Do we plead for our state, plead for our nation? I wonder, do we intercede on behalf of people? Is our heart so convicted and so passionate for the people we work with and the people that we live in and the people in our family are we so moved that we're like like amos we intercede on behalf of the people before almighty god no they don't deserve mercy we plead with god that he would show mercy a nation certainly needs it doesn't it all you do is listen to the news a little bit and realize how much of a mess we're we really are in a mess as a nation and what our nation needs is God's mercy and God's grace. I wonder how concerned are we souls? do we intercede on their behalf as Amos? Didn't deserve God's mercy, but Amos pleaded God for mercy, and God repented of this and said, It shall not be, saith the Lord, held the rest of the judgment. He must asked him to. Second vision. It was there of a devouring fire? Verse 4. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me. And behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, fire of the great deep, and did eat up a pass. Here the fire dried up the water, it burned up the land. The image here of a drought, a very severe drought. A drought that Amos had mentioned back in chapter 4 and verses 8. Go back with me to chapter 4, please. And also I have withholden the rain from you when there was yet three months to the harvest and I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. Three cities wandered unto one city to drink water. They were not satisfied. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Drought. The nation has gone through serious calamities and they have not repented. The nation of Israel and Judah have not seen their their, their wickedness. They've not turned back to God. No matter what God's done in the previous chapters of this book, they have not turned back to him. And they don't repent, but Amos pleads with God that God would repent, that God would withhold the judgment. And now God allows a drought to come. The nation is suffering. There's no water. Everything's dried up. And the prophet yet again pleads with... Notice what happens in verse 5. Then said I, O Lord, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, said, the Lord God. The prophet once again cried out to the Lord, begged him to cease. His judgment. And once more, God heard the prayer of Amos. Once more, God heeded the intercession of Amos. And once more, withheld the rest of the judgment. Because Amos pleaded for the people. You know, Amos was a man who cared for his people. He was a man who cared about this sinful nation. And read on this chapter, you realize you get accused of the opposite. But here is a man whose heart is broken for the nation of Israel, a man who cares for the people. The people do not deserve God's mercy. The people do not deserve God's grace. But Amos pleads with God that God will withhold rest the judgment because Jacob is small. He says, "Whom shall arise? Uh, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small." I know that likewise, love sinners. That we be moved to intercede for the lost. When was the last time that we became so desirous for someone to get saved that you and I interceded on their behalf? that we took them and their name before the throne of grace daily and we pleaded with God that God would show his mercy and his grace to them and that God save them in his mercy and grace. When was the last time that you were so burdened for the lost that we did as Amos did and we pleaded with God for their salvation? Now it may well be that they'll be like the nation of Israel and not get saved because they don't want to be saved, but when was the last time that burden for them to be saved? When was the last time you and I put God day in and day out for the salvation of that soul? When was the last time that you and I got so moved by the lost that you and I could not help but pray for them? Because they were not praying for themselves. Oh, that we will be moved to pray for lost sinners and to see it on their behalf like Amos did. The third vision was the vision of the plumb line in verse 7 Then he showed me and behold the Lord stood upon the wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand and The Lord said unto me Amos, seest thou and I said be a plumb line said the Lord behold I will set a plumb line in the midst of the people Israel I will not again pass by them anymore The vision of the plumb line you know, a plumb line is builders used to use. You know, they're now technical. They have the, all that uh, uh, technology now. You know, with their digital plumb lines and everything else. But he, that, you know, you get a heavy weight in the end of a bit of string, and you hold, it and uh, it would always have a, uh, be up vertical, and it was. And you could put it up against something and determine whether or not that thing was straight. And so, it was an instrument to test, uh, particularly walls, to see whether they were standing straight. A plumb line. And a man would stand on top of the wall and he would drop the line down and then they would determine how the wall stood. Which is what happens here. It says in verse 7, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plum line, a plum line in his hand and he lowers the plumb line down beside of the wall. And by matching the line to the wall, the workers could tell whether the wall was upright or not. Now in this case, in Amos's case, and the Lord's speaking to Amos, the word of God is the plumb line. And God is measuring the people by his word to see how they match up. See how they are uh, 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 line up with the pattern of God's word. To see how true they are to the word of God. Are they standing true and full in line with the word of God, or are they out of sync with God's word? They were upright in character, to measure their upright in conduct. Of course, we know where the nation of Israel are right now. in Amos' time, he that Israel was out of plumb and therefore had to be destroyed. God had measured them by his word. And as God had upheld the word of God, the people of Israel, what he found was that they were out of plumb. They did not match up to his word. They were not walking in righteousness. It included their high places and sanctuaries where they worshipped contrary to God's law. Verse 9, And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, And the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste and arise against the hand of Jeroboam with the sword. So as God puts down the plumb line by the nation of Israel, he sees that the sanctuaries where they are worshipping are out of plumb. He sees that the the king, Jeroboam, is out of plumb. He sees that Israel needs to be laid waste because Israel is not standing true to God you see the only place where the Jews were sacrifices was to worship in the temple look at Leviticus please chapter 17 Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 1 And the well, Lord spake unto Moses saying, Speak unto Aaron, and unto his sons, and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, What mansoever there be of the house of Israel, that an ox or a lamb or a goat, in the camp, or that killeth it out of the camp, and bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, to offer an offering unto the Lord, before the tabernacle of the Lord, be blood shall be imputed unto that man, and hath shed blood. And that man shall be cut off from his people, to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, even that they may bring them unto the Lord, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, to the priests, and to offer them for peace offerings unto the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar of the Lord, at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and burn the fat for the sweet savour unto the Lord. And they shall no more offer their sacrifice on devils, after whom they have gone a whoring. This shall be a step for them throughout their generations. They were to offer their sacrifice at the tabernacle or at the temple. They were not to offer their sacrifices in their high places. They are not to offer their sacrifices in the field. They were not to say anywhere but at the temple. By the time we come to the time of Amos, they are <coughs> sacrifices in all sorts of places. In particular, the high places of Isaac, verse 9 says, and the high place of Isaac shall be desolate. They were worshipping God in the wrong place and the wrong way. And when God put the plumb line of his word by the nation of Israel, what he found was, which is what he already knew was, that the nation of Israel were not walking true. And God says that he will not spare them any longer. Look in verse 8, right at the end. It says, I will not again pass by them anymore. Certainly an anonymous statement. I will spare them no longer, he basically says. The nation has gone too far. And there's no hope. Judgment, and it cannot be avoided. It's interesting this time that Amos does not intercede on behalf of the people. He does with the plague of locusts. He does with the drought. But here he does not. Because he recognizes that now too far. The nation has pushed the envelope too far. The nation now has stepped out of line with too far. And gone to the place whereby he lays at his word. And he stands it by the side of the people. And the people certainly are so far out of plumb that there is course left open to God. Except for judgment. time was up judgment was coming like Amos today we have the Word of God and the Word of God is our plumb line the Word of God is the true righteousness it's this book the absolute truth you know we live in a nation and we live in a world of relativism Everything everything's relative. Everything is subjective. Everything is left to every man's opinion, and it's subjective. There is no absolute truth that has permeated our lawmakers. It permeates our, our, our judicial system. It doesn't matter where you go, there is no absolute truth, and that's why our world and our nations and the mess it in is in because there is no absolute truth. Truth has been thrown out, so now everything is is subjective to certain things. So to stand up for righteousness today is looked upon as abhorrent because there is no absolute. Do you be absolutely stating that truth to be true when you cannot, because things are so fluid? Funny thing is we're getting the place now where our nation is getting the whereby what is absolute now is absolute wrong is becoming the absolute. And if anybody says the opposite of absolute wrong, then you're absolutely wrong, Take the right. Which I think is a bit ludicrous because the very argument of those who are now holding to this new absolute is that you and I should not have the right to have absolutes. And so humanism is becoming the new standard and yet the word of God is the absolute truth. This is the only source of truth. It's the only source of understanding righteousness. There is no other way of knowing God. righteousness. Is the word of God is the plan of God for the world. And when the word of God is held up against our nation, and nation is that a plum, beloved. It is so far out of sorts with the truth of God's word longer the Lord wait till he comes back don't you things are so bad you know uh, I, I don't know if you saw just recently there was two politicians two liberal politicians having a debate about the whole gay marriage issue one of them is, is a seeing uh, uh, homosexual the other one is not he's a Christian professing Christian on any debate and the debate was then shut down and said, we have no right to even discuss that matter. Politicians have no right to talk about it. I, I mean, I think we've got to a place where we're in a ridiculous can where people can't even talk about the opposing opinion to the opinion of humanism. The word of God stands today and our nation stands condemned And yet so often we're unmoved as believers by the plight of our nation. You know, God stands up against the people and the people are measured by God's standard. And Romans 3 and verse 10 tells us, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understand. there's none that seeketh after God. They've all gone out of their own way. They've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We live in a nation today and in a world today where mankind is, is, is lost and dying on the way to hell. Often we're unmoved by that very fact. For the unsightly time is running out, beloved. Second Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 2 says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, the the day is spent. The night is at hand, beloved. And I don't know when the Lord's going to come back. I don't know whether it'll be in my lifetime, but I do know this, the turn of Christ is closer now than it's ever been before, and time is short the word of God declares that mankind is and dying and on the way to hell and what the world needs today more than ever is for you and I to stand up like angels up and in on behalf of the people and plead for God's mercy and God's grace and as you see in the rest of this chapter that we then proclaim the word of God truthfully so that we're saved. there's an urgency beloved Souls are lost. And I need to be looking for and praying for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world. We need God to lay upon us a passion for souls that you and I would be passionate about the lost, that you and I would intercede on their behalf, that we'd be like the prophet Amos before it's too late. For those of us who know Jesus Christ their Saviour, the word of God is also the only true measure of righteousness for us. You know, we are supposed to look into the law of liberty and to see what sort of man we are or what God, sort of woman we are. We're we look in God's word. It's the only standard of righteousness that's available. And we should look in the word of God and we should allow the word of God to examine our hearts, to see where we are in relationship to our God that you and I might stand in righteousness, that you and I might stand as godly uh, servants of the Lord, that you and I might stand in this ungodly world as light shining in a dark place. In fact, our lights ought to be shining brighter now than ever before because the darker it gets, the brighter the light. We ought to be following God's. Word. We ought to let God's word judge us And then allow the Spirit of God to mould us into the very character and image of God that people might see Christ in us, the hope of glory. That we allow God's Word to examine our relationship with the Lord that we might indeed identify in our lives those areas that need to be corrected that we might be a much more successful and more faithful a much more diligent servant of God and testimony and a witness for righteousness. Lost and dying world. I wonder how do we measure up the divine plumb line. God is true, and we are sinners. We need to allow always ourselves to be seen of God's Word, and let God's Word judge us and challenge us, and the Spirit of God change us to His glory. In the second part of this chapter, we find Amos struggling with the authorities and I don't have time because I'm struggling with the time to do that tonight. So we'll have to do that next time, struggling with the authorities because I've got three points there also. So We will have to come back to that at another time. Tonight we need to be like Amos. We need to have God challenge us, allow us to intercede on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our city, on behalf of our friends and our nation. That God will give to us a passion for the lost, that so I'll be saved to his glory. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this night. We thank you, Father God, for the challenge that's gained in your word with regards to our witness and our testimony. Men like Amos, Father God, who demonstrated to us what it's like to truly have a passionate heart for people as he intercedes on their behalf. On a people deserve mercy, don't deserve grace, in the seeds on their behalf, so that, Father, you withhold your judgment upon them To finally it's too late. Lord well, God, may we indeed be moved to the same standard, Father God, as Amos, that we'd be moved to have, Father God, passionate hearts for the lost. Lord, may we then uphold Your Word as a standard for our lives, that we might see ourselves in the light of Your Word. God, Your Word might reveal to us where we're out of plumb. Spirit of God, then might correct the areas that need to be corrected, that we might be a be- better servant of You, a much more faithful witness for You, more testimony for You in this world in which we live. Lord, commend Your Word to our hearts this night. We pray. Blessed be. Close with a hymn. We pray. In his name, Amen. Let's take a hymn book.